Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Don, I think Financial Magazine has been listening to our show. Thank you. Thank you. It says, why advisors should practice tax law harvesting all year long. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just did a segment on that about two weeks ago, and here they come out with an article. Yeah, We'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, also, are you focused on the wrong central bank? Everybody's talking about the Fed, but there, will, there is another central bank that's really, really important if you're talking about investing in stocks or bonds. And then we'll talk about the perfect investment that wasn't. Tulips for sale. Uh, Who exactly is the Secure Act 2.04? Is it really for you? But there are some important changes. Some benefit you and some smack you. Mm. So you got to make sure you know which one. You want to try to avoid the smack and you want the benefit, right? Um, And then six will and trust considerations that just can't wait. We'll just do a quick drive-by on that. Make sure you got everything in place. And then we'll do the mailbag. And finally, the thing that I really know you care about the most, that's why we put it at the last, so you got to listen to the show, is Team Revere, will the bear market come roaring back? Or, oh, the camera's over here. I was looking the wrong way. Or (laughs) does the stock market appear to be holding or basing? And what about the bond market and what about interest rates? Folks, I'm sorry. Welcome to Your Money Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Stewart. We moved. Zach moved me over to this Nice area. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not kind of you. We got a little different configuration, so I'll get it right. All right. Anyway, are, are so, you in a are you in a different room there, or the same room, or I'm or the same how, room. I'm just seat? in a different seat. I'm in a different seat. That's right. Different different side okay. of the different room. side. Yeah. By the way, folks, for those of you I've talked about this before. Oh no! But this was our old show, the old show, the Wall Street Shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old, back there. old relic. Yeah, that was with Dan Kofal. Anyway, that, that was that was just a blast from the past. All right. Now, let's start hitting it right here. All right. Why advisors should practice tax law harvesting all year long? Tax law harvesting is a popular planning move at the end of calendar year. Also should be looked at throughout the year to give you time to deal with tricky regulations and reinvesting to match your long-term goals. Um, it said you can you can offset three thousand against ordinary income and carry the the net operating lo- the loss carry forward forward to offset future gains. Multiple reasons to do this on a continuous basis. Um, um, it says to start lost harvesting uh, moves from the late twenty twenty two may need to be followed up, avoiding 
uh, new investments that are too similar to the old ones and that will conform with the wash sale rules. So they're worried about the wash sale rules. We don't worry too much about that. And here's why. Because you don't lose the loss. You just can't offset the loss on another stock. When you sell that same stock again, they net those two together. So you really never lose the law, the wash sale. That is one big misconception. Even advisors, a lot of advisors uh, get that wrong. So uh, doing the benefits of lost let's, harvest. Let's sum, let's sum it up in it. Let's sum it up in a sentence. You don't lose the wash. It's delayed until you sell the security again and don't repurchase it for 30, for 30 days. days. Right, right. So, yes. So, so folks, here's a couple things. If you, the reason you want to do lost sales, okay, if it's material, you don't need to book a $100 loss, but if it's a couple thousand or 10, I mean, it depends on the size of the portfolio, but if it's a material loss and you book that loss, you can offset gains either now or in the future. Well, long-term capital gains are 20% rate and short-term gains are at your ordinary income tax rate. So I know that I'm going to offset at least 20% gain at some point. Okay. So if I know that, if there is no reason for me not to book a loss, unless I think that stock is going to pop more than 20% in 30 days, guess what? Revere's not that good. And I don't know that anybody that is, we don't consistently buy stocks that pop 20% in 30 days. If we did, we'd own Hawaii, okay? Now, um, so you want to make sure that you do that. And But here is the one thing I do agree with this article. Thank you. He said you need to do it early. You don't want to wait till December because everybody else is doing the lost harvesting in December. And if your stock has a loss, odds are lots of other people have losses too. And most retail investors do their loss sale about halfway through December through the rest of the year. So those stocks with losses are going to have bigger losses. That's why you always want to do it at least by no end of November. But at Revere, because we're doing it, we keep our losses small and we have very disciplined stop losses. Uh, we don't use hard stops because the market makers know where they are and they rape retail investors uh, with, that use hard stops. We have alerts. When the alerts get hit, we go submit the order. Point being, though, is we keep losses to single digit almost always. I mean, very rarely it might turn into a double digit if you hold and then it gaps down overnight. You got a 6-7% loss and then some bad news comes out. I think we've only had a couple of those in the past three, but most of our losses are almost all of our loss can be single digit and you keep those small because compounding works both ways. So if you lose 10%, you only need 11.1 to get back even. You lose 25%, you need 37 and a half to get back even. You lose 50%, you got to make 100% to get back even. That's why controlling drawdown is very important for the next uptrend. Not to mention for your mental sanity so it doesn't scare you and scare you out because you filled out a risk tolerance quote you based on your risk tolerance, but that risk tolerance changes over time. If, you're, if you lose enough, you're going to hit your pain threshold, you're going to say uncle, and you're going to sell. That's why you really got to, in our opinion, have a, have, a, have a sell discipline. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting because I did a whole thing on wash sales a couple, days, uh, a couple weeks ago, and then sure enough, there's an article now. All right, now, are you focused on the wrong central bank? So, and these are interrelated. So everybody has got their attention on the Fed. And by the way, if you want any of these articles, all these articles are, are in the show notes. 
Okay, so you can you can go pull those up and read them yourself. Some of them are kind of tongue in cheek, and I'm making fun of them, so I, I don't consider them a like a serious serious research article. And some are very good for research. At least get you asking the right direct uh, questions. All right. So this one says, are you focusing on the wrong Fed? This was put out by Schwab. With all the attention on U.S. Fed, easy for U.S. investors to forget the impact of other monetary authorities, uh, the Bank of Japan, the BOJ in particular. For over a decade, the Bank of Japan, Bank of Japan enabled Japan an important source of funding. The zero or even negative interest rates have allowed Japan has allowed uh, in, in rates in Japan has allowed investors to borrow cheaply in yen and then purchase in other currencies. So if my interest rate is literally zero and interest rates in U.S. are 3%, I can borrow at, at zero and I can invest in 3% and make money on the spread. And you say, well, 3% is not a lot. Yeah, but if you mark, and these are in bonds, treasury bonds. Now, if you lever it up and go leverage it up, you may turn it into 5 or 6%. And theoretically, that's not a lot of risk. Now, as long as that currency parity stays in fairly close unison, if the yen starts strengthening against the dollar strong, then when you, when you want to unwind the trade, you got to cover your yen currency and you'll end up losing on the currency trade. So even if you make 8% on your trade, if you lose 10% in the currency translation, once you convert it back uh, to your currency, do you have a net loss? So it's not just the investment, the stock investment, it's also the currency transaction once you get it back into your, your home currency. Now, this is called the carry trade. I'm going to read this very quickly. A popular strategy, the yen carry trade takes place when investors borrow yen at very low interest rates and then investments, and then they invest in investments denominated in other currency for a higher rate of return. And this works as long as the yen is weak. If they're printing money and keeping rates at zero, their currency is going to weak, be weak relative to other currencies. Uh, the yen carry trade uh, has led to net investment outflows in Japan for a decade. So a lot of money is leaving Japan, and that becomes can can be a little dangerous. So they're talking about maybe trying to un, unwind this some. But anyway, late last year, the Bank of Japan shifted its policy and started hedging its foreign bond positions. Uh, um, and in response, uh, they're net outflows turned into inflows. So it actually, they've actually started doing it already. But remember this, the yen started weakening during the fourth quarter of last year. And then we actually had the yen carry trade pick up and you saw a bump in our markets. Okay. Even though the Fed was talking tough. Well, so you've got a couple different things you've got to be careful of. Okay. So if the yen gets weak, that's bullish for stocks, U.S. stocks. However, if it gets weak, too weak against the U.S. dollar and the dollar strengthens too much, that puts a little, uh, uh, a little bit of headwinds against the, the stocks. So a strong dollar normally in the short term is not good for U.S. stocks. So there's kind of a, a, a sweet spot, sweet spot in the middle where you want the yen weak enough 
but you don't want the dollar getting too strong in the basket of currencies. The yen can get weaker against euro and other things, and even against the dollar. It just doesn't, you just don't want the dollar getting too strong. So you want a reasonable dollar and a weak yen. But if the dollar starts getting too strong, or if the yen starts getting too strong, you could see a market sell-off. Why is that? So all these hedge funds, a lot of these hedge funds that make these outsized returns, they go borrow billions of dollars in yen, and then they go buy stocks in U.S. If the yen starts getting stronger, they've got to sell their U.S. stocks to have cash to go buy back the yen to unwind the carry trade, to unwind the borrowed money. Because the yen's starting to get stronger, they're starting to get losses on that borrowed money. Said another way, that borrowed money is getting too expensive. And so they have to actually sell stuff that puts pressure on stocks. In any event, it's not just the Fed that you need to be concerned about. You also have to be concerned with uh, the Bank of Japan. All right. I thought, thought this article was a little bit uh, interesting. It said, uh, the perfect investment uh, that doesn't exist. And so this guy's kind of touting his own horn. I don't, I've never heard of him before. 2007, I unveiled a revolutionary way of analyzing a portfolio, a major ma breakthrough for millions of investors. Unfortunately, nobody reads my blog except you. <laughs> so I don't know how I found it. Uh, but anyway, he's basically talking about prices, stability, fees and expenses and taxes, growth, yield, and liquidity. Those are the four things. Folks, look, any investment, if you're talking about buying and holding long-term, any investment actually has two of the three characteristics, um, growth, stability, and liquidity. You can have any two of those three in any one investment. You can't have all three or they wouldn't let you own it. They wouldn't sell it to you. They'd keep it for themselves. So if you have liquidity and stability, price stability, like a money market, you don't have a lot of growth. If you have growth, like a stock, you have liquidity, but you don't have price stability. You don't, it can fluctuate. Okay? So, again, you can have any two of those three things if you're buying and holding. Now, the good thing is we don't buy and hold. We actually move around. So we always try to have liquidity. Liquidity is always very important for us. We manage growth by having a sell discipline so we don't get big drawdowns. Okay? Um, it says the key is to allocate your capital broadly and then ask yourself, what is the weak spot? Every investment has a weak, at least one weak spot. Here is the golden nugget in this article, because most of this article was a bunch of gobbledygook. He said, when a new investment fad hits the scene, remember wild counsel. If some wild-eyed Dane, Danish, Dane shows you a tulip statement on December 12th, 1636, ask him about price stability and liquidity, assuming he speaks 21st century American English. He touts the impervious merit. If your neighbor touts the impervious merits of flipping rental properties or flipping real estate or cryptocurrency or even fixed annuities or tech stocks, he may actually be a sales person at very best. And he, you may be an easy mark for your money. So the two gold nuggets in that last paragraph is always look, if they're trying to sell you a package product and investment, make sure that there's not a big commission or surrender penalties and make sure this guy is not a salesman or a broker, but a fiduciary giving you good investment advice. All right. Now we're going to talk about, uh, I want to talk about 
just very quickly, I don't want to go uh, too d- deep into this because it gets complicated and it's, it, you got to customize this, but it's talking about wills and trusts. So, and it says wills aren't for the wealthy. Um, it saves heirs from painful guessing game. That's very true. You do not want to die in tested. Um, incapacity, incapacity documentation is crucial so that they know if you, you know, whether to pull the plug or not. Guardian strip can be a minefield, and that's if you've got someone that can't take care of their own affairs, so you need to put a guardianship on them. Uh, adults that are not, you know, fully mature adults, um, and you want to have spendthrift clauses, or, or uh, if they're minors, you may need a custodian. Uh, advanced planning can ta- save a lot of heartache and money, uh, and, and we can help you. So here's the thing. There's all kinds of trust so at the very least, you're going to need wills. You're going to need wills with the bypass clause, especially once we hit 2026. If you want to avoid probate, in Texas, probate's not a big deal, but there's still benefits. In California, probate's a big deal. And if you've got a couple million dollar estate, it's going to cost you a lot of money if you don't have a revocable trust or living trust. You don't want to have a regular will. Then if you get above a certain amount, then you've got to look at more complex estate planning, either using some kind of business, family business entity, or some kind of irrevocable trust. It's beyond the scope of this show, but I'm well-versed in that. If you got any questions, you can call me. I'd be happy to go over your uh, estate stuff. Okay, now, for the big stuff that just came out, who benefits from the SECURE Act 2.0? So this is the new SECURE Act, and there's a lot of good stuff here, and it allows you to save more for retirement. Now, if you're considered rich, then we might add some speed bumps. What do you think the definition of rich is? I'm just wondering. Don, what do you think the definition of rich is? Uh, that you don't have to worry, that you have security. I'm not going to put a dollar figure on it because it's different for everybody. Okay, let's but. talk about an annual income. If you're making an annual income, what do you think is wealthy? Like you got plenty of money. Uh, I'd say 250K. Yeah, at a minimum. So their definition of rich is 145,000. Now, if you got four kids or three kids, you got one college. I live in an expensive city. Yeah, live in an expensive city. 140, you're probably living on credit cards. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. That, that's a tough, and I don't even think this is for a single. This is for a couple if you got two people working. In any event, here are the good things that we have. We've got increased catch-up contributions. So for traditional and Roth IRAs, starting in 2024, they'll be indexed for inflation. Thank you very much. It's about time. Um, for 401ks and other employer-sponsored plans, starting in 2025, People that are 60 to 63 will be able to contribute an extra 10 grand to their 401k and similar plans, 5,000 for simple. Um, And each year, their work based retirement plans, oh, each year, uh, 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 beginning in 2024, all catch up provisions for those making more than 145,000 a year will be forced to be Roth contributions. So you're going to have to pay the tax on it. So if you make over 145000 a year and you want to stuff your 401k and you want to do it before tax, you better do it this year. 
you'll be in. So this year it's 22.5. And if you're over 50, you can do an extra seven. So you could do 30 total. This year it could be all tax deductible. If we were in next year, and it's going to be slightly indexed next year, it would be 22.5 in before tax, but the seven, the catch up would have to be in a Roth and you'd pay tax on that seven. If you don't like that, call your proposed. Proposed I think this passed. Uh, this document is a summary of the key tax provisions contained in the Consolidated Act of 2023. Uh, Omni, uh, the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending legislation. Suffer. Yes, I think this passed. Yeah, I will confirm passed. that. Yep. Yeah, but yes. So in any event, and there's different things for simples. I'm not going to go into that because very few people have simples anymore with the new uh, 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 easy 401ks. Um, but if you got any questions on that, you can call me. Automatic enrollment for new plans starting in 2025. Uh, most 401ks and 403bs plans, newly eligible employees must be automatically enrolled at 3% with automatic increases to 1% until you reach at least 10%. So over seven years, you'll get up to 10%. So if you start a new job in 2025, they put you in a 401k automatically and start adding 3% of your payroll. If you want your total gross pay and you don't want any retirement savings, you need to opt out. I don't recommend that. I'm just telling you the rules. Okay. Create a new bare bones employer plan option. The act creates a bare bones starter. It's called a starter 401k plan in 2024 that does not require the employer contributions of year end testing, but allow the employees to contribute up to 6,000 index for inflation. So basically, even if your employer doesn't have a 401k plan or a, or a match, you can do a 401k plan and put in 6000 Here's my question on that. If you're only able to do 6000 or seven a year savings, just do an IRA. You don't need that 401k plan. However, does this mean that you could do a 401k plan and an IRA? Ah, depends on your income. It gets really complicated and they phase it out pretty early if you contribute to a 401k plan. So you really just need to call me on that. Here are some of the uh, things that you do um, have to uh, watch out for. Well, no, uh, they, they're going to increase the age for RMDs, required minimum distributions. So it's 73 beginning in 2023 this year, and it's going to increase to 75 in 2033. Oh, thank you very much. You're going to wait 12 years to make it in effect. That's because they can revoke it if they want, or they can, depends on how much tax they need. They just make you want to think that you're going to get it. You may not, not ever get it. They may change the rules again. So I don't like that. Here is a really good one for someone that accidentally missed their RMDs in previous years or they overfunded. They did an excess contribution because the penalties were punitive. If you put excess, if you didn't take an RMD or you made an excess contribution, put too much money in, you went over the limit. They started penalties were like 30 to 50% depending. And it was compounding every year. So you got so if you put too much money, half of that money that you put in was you had to back it all out and then pay half in tax. It was it was horrible. So it says the Secure Act revises the statute of limitations for RMD violations uh, to three years from the taxpayer filing when they filed. Okay. Excess contributions for six years from the date of filing. Uh, there are certain exceptions, uh, but they're going to reduce the penalties and the penalties are going to go from 50% to 
only down to 25% in 2023 and is further reduced to 10% if the account holder takes the full required amount and report the tax by the end of the second year after it was due and before the IRS demands payment. So in my simple mind, I'm thinking, well, if I accidentally overfunded it last year and I've got to back it out, okay, or if I, did a, a, I didn't do an RMD and I've got to back it out, and if I do it this year, the tax is 25%, but if I wait till next year, it's within the two years, it's only 10%. Would I wait till next year and hope that the IRS doesn't demand payment and catch it? They've actually been very slow at catching these items anyway. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I don't like that rule, but the point is they're reducing the horrible penalties on the RMDs. They're, they're actually they're, they're almost usury, if you ask me. And there are a few other things in here. Um, another really interesting thing is the 529 plan rollover to a Roth. Yeah, very interesting. This is all so very interesting. <laughs> I know it's a little dry. It's hard. Listen, starting in 2024, though, taxpayers may be able to directly roll over a total of 35000 from a 529 plan into a Roth IRA for the same beneficiary. So if you overfunded your 529 and your kid didn't use it up for college, at that point, you can roll it into a Roth. So, all right. So those are some changes. If you've got any questions on those, you can... Uh, Call me on those. Those are going to make a difference. It will affect Don and I, uh, uh, and it probably will affect other people. So, all right, let's go to the mailbag. Because we're old, rolling over. Because we're the, over the, fifty. The excess yes. contribution over fifty. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, well, it's yeah, it's for the for the catch up provisions. All right. Good morning, Don and Dan. And this is, by the way, we got this last Saturday, so it's a week old. It's dated, and this actually highlights it will highlight exactly what we're talking about. Okay. Good morning, Don and Dan. Can you please discuss in your next podcast in and when you use the weekly charts to enter and exit trades? I can't help but notice the clean pullbacks to the weekly 20 simple moving average on TMDX and ELF, both of which have been, have been in beautiful uptrends. You, and can you please also please talk about your approach to positioning around volatile prone days like FOMC, PCE, uh, et cetera. Thank you, KC. Okay, so this is Don's answer. In hindsight, those two stocks look, now this again, this is Monday, or during the weekend a week ago. And this is after, so the market started having a decent rally in, in January and, very begin, and then pulled back strong for about 10 days, 10, a week. In hindsight, those two stocks look like great buys at that level. In reality, in real time, ELF was a high-volume failed breakout that turned to a three-day high-volume break of the 50-day simple moving average, which is a clear sell signal because you don't know how far it's going to go down. TMDX also Zach, broke... Zach, split, split, show split screen while he's talking. Zach, please. Yeah, Thank you. Sure. Okay, so when the stock is in a weekly, uh, uh, let's see, TMDX also broke down on a two-day negative reversal. Since we already own these, our sell signals focus, forced us out. When a stock is at the weekly, uh, 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 what is that, 220-day simple moving average? Is that 200-day? You wrote 20. 
or 10, yeah, or 10 day or daily hundred simple moving average. It's simply not displaying leadership qualities in the moment. That doesn't mean it won't. Both of these did go higher, meaning this past week, on bullish earnings reports. But while these were hanging at the 100-day simple moving average, we're focused on these stocks above the 50-day simple moving and the 21 exponential. That's where the true in-the-moment leadership resides. So what's Don saying is that stock broke down, it was breaking down, and then earnings reports helped booster those stocks and made them pop back up. Had the earnings reports turned out negative, it would have been just the opposite. It could have been a bear flag down instead of a, a bear flag up. It, would, it could have been totally different. So after the good earnings reports came out, these stocks got their, their charts became better again. You don't know that. You only know that in hindsight. Okay. Um, as far as buying them back, sometimes we do, TDMX, and sometimes we wish we did, ELF, it's not possible to, quote, kiss all the babies, as William O'Neill said. If we tried, we'd, we'd, we'd own 30 tickers each at 1% to 2% each, and that's not optimal. Regarding binary event days, we never know for certain which direction the market will go, so we don't make huge weightings either way. Our holdings will be dictated on how leaders are acting as well as the three moving averages. If these things are extended to the upside or... If these things uh, are extended to the upside and we're heavily invested, we occasionally will add a hedge to protect gains. Thanks for reaching out, Don. Okay. So, uh, and then I kind of added, this wasn't an email that we answered back. This wasn't a, in the mailbag. This is my comments, me. Uh, going further with this, because it was a week ago Friday, so what has changed these stocks Again, and we have, this is a question for Don. So what has changed with these stocks again and have we re-entered? This is hard to do emotionally when you get stopped out because of controlling risk, but you must be able to get back in if a good setup occurs and re-emerges and if it is one of the best setups. Actually, with leading stocks, especially when you are establishing a bottom in the markets, and this may be a bottom, it may not, or attempting to bottom, you will you will have this with more frequency, small whipsaws in the same stocks, but when they finally run, they run for real, and it will all be worth it with a, a, a few nicks, okay? So what I'm saying is a lot of those leading stocks, it, it's hard off the bottom, but once they go, they'll run. Don, you want to comment on that real quick? Yeah, the, the, the whole um, idea of buying something off the 100 uh, simple moving average or the 20 week moving average. Uh, it, it's, it looks great in hindsight, but as I said, in real time, we, the, the list that I go through Friday is the 21 over 21. It's not the 200 over the 100. There's just, there's a, there's a ton of stocks that at any one time would be trading closer to the 100 day simple moving average or the 20 week moving average. And you don't know which of those several hundred is going to emerge. We're focused on the best of the best at the time. Uh, and that is the ones that are trading, uh, rounding out their bases, trading at uh, good risk reward areas. Both of these stocks are fantastic from a fundamental standpoint, but we did get stopped out and we moved on to other ideas. Uh, our primary focus list is that 21 over 21 and then maybe another 10 stocks that are 
knocking on the door trying to get into the 21 over 21 and after we just got stopped out um it, we just decided not to get back in on elf tmdx uh we did we knew the story uh a lot better uh and saw we're kind of using uh intuitive surgical as a precedent for this and uh it it just is really in its infancy of of its move if it can be as big as the story says it's going to be uh and tmdx gapped up 20 percent on earnings we did re-enter it when it got back above the 21 day ema uh, after it shook out below the 50 or at the 100 day simple moving average so like i said sometimes you get back in sometimes you don't but the leadership stocks are not the ones that are hanging out at their a hundred day simple moving average. And if they if they were, they haven't shown themselves to be leaders because they're just another name along with another couple hundred stocks that are that are down at that level. Okay. All right. That sounds good. And and so I in a nutshell, I'm gonna oversimplify a little bit. It, it there's too many times that making money in the market is pretty easy. This is not one of those times for sure. Okay. But after COVID, when Powell came out and said, hey, I'm going to spend $4 trillion and we're going to put a floor into this, that's the time that making money is very easy. Right now, it's, it's tough. But when things, I would, we would, at Revere, we would rather be stuck out wishing we were in than stuck in wishing we were out. So we are always going to be, if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of being defensive and protecting principle because there's too many times when all the stars line up and it's easy to make money. And so you don't have to take unnecessary risk, but managing risk is very key at Revere and we want to preserve principle uh, to fight another day. All right. So now finally, and this kind of dovetails and ties in with everything else, and that is uh, the market, I'm looking for my article, I'm stalling. Um, um, <laughs> will the bear come roaring back or does the stock market appear to be holding and or basing? And what about the bond uh, market also in bonds? Okay, so I am looking for this article. Hang on, just give me one sec. Dan, you're moving away from the microphone. There you go, all right, so. There okay. we go. So here, here, and this, and this is, this is a, this is a, a, a good, I'm going to go through this very quickly. Past two weeks, and this was on uh, February, well, this is uh, February 28th. Past two weeks, the markets have been down between four and 5%. Worries about the economy, inflation been growing. I've been getting a lot of questions. Start worrying about the resumption of the last year's bear market. I don't think so. Here's why, is what he's saying. A closer look at the results. Both the S&P and Dow uh, bounced to gain uh, 2% to the start of February and then dropped uh, and moved to about a gain of 1%. Now we're down about one5 It's gotten bumpier ride. The NASDAQ was worse, uh, up almost 5% for the start of the month and now pulled back to being only up 1%. Um, um, you see the same thing three months back, even more volatility with declines starting point of about 5% on the S&P. So he's back where we started. So the takeaway, the results simply over the past six months, past three months and past month, the S&P has ended up pretty much where it started. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, but the downswings bounced back. 
He said um, the recession worries, inflation rebounding, the Fed continuing raising rates, uh, pending debt ceiling confrontation, company reporting earning declines, et cetera. It said the markets stayed about the same levels. And he said since first half, uh, he said, but most of the market decline occurred in the first half of 2022. Since then, we've kind of been bouncing along the bottom. Okay, now. Now, when human beings, we're in real time daily is, is it feels very, you know, important, but really you got to step back and look at a little bit longer time frame to get some perspective. So it says, so what does this tell us going forward? First, over the six month period, the market has been resilient to an incredible array of bad news, including rebounding inflation, interest rates. Uh, secondly, the bad news going forward is already priced in, especially the Fed and rates. Third, any significant further declines would depend on something even worse happening. He's basically saying all the bad, the bad news is already out. He said, low expectations may lead to positive surprises. When expectations are already low, a recession, continuing war in Ukraine, growing confrontation with China, rising inflation, hawkish Fed, debt ceiling, he said, and so on, there is usually more upside than down ahead. Again, he's saying everything is priced in. Um, so he said, uh, are, th are there things to worry about? Certainly. Uh, but we will always be worried and watching. So here is the biggest question, and this who, is where who, I'm going to. Who was that? Who was that from? Oh, this who, is who wrote that? Uh, it was from Brad McMillan. And who is Brad McMillan? He is chief investment officer at the Commonwealth Financial Network. It's one of the things on the on you know one of the advisor article they put out a bunch of articles every day. The whole point is. I, and he was doing it based on that was all based on kind of his overall feeling and kind of, you know, fundamental experience. He's kind of saying, well, all this, the market's been pretty resilient the last six months. He's not really measuring anything. He's just kind of looking back at a big long term picture and saying the market's kind of bouncing around. We use a lot more um, um, technical measures. Let's just say that. Say that again. Let's just say Brad is not a technician. Yeah, Brad is not there, a technician. So now, a general, bunch of generalities and backward looking in that it, that that article. No, 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 no. I get that. I get that, and that's why I'm teeing you up right here now. So here, here is here. Hang on, give me a sec. Here's here. Let me set the table. Here is my question, because this is the million dollar question. So the, we had a bear market, not Revere, but the markets had a bear market last year, and it was ugly, okay? We had a good January and just the start of February, and then we had a quick, swift pullback of 5%. Scared people. So the short-term, mid-term, and long-term indicators all were going positive in January, and now, the, the, then you can correct me if I'm wrong, now, then the, then the short-term actually went red and said, hold on, but the, the mid-term and long-term held. Now, we pulled back to longer-term support and held, and now we've, we're bouncing off of that. That's actually a very constructive bullish sign. doesn't mean the market can't roll back over if something bad enough happens, but all the inflation stuff is priced in. I agree with them on that. People kind of know about the war in Ukraine. I mean, things are, are, those things are already known, even though the media hypes this stuff up and tries to scare you to death. So with that, Don, 
I'm going to turn it over to Team Revere, and you guys can go over what you want to talk about in the markets. Okay, so I'm going to start off with a quick review of last night's uh, video and segue into the title of what's going to be the big show tonight, and it's a, a very important point. Oh, since February 3rd, we had been coming down lower after a, a much stronger than expected employment report came out, and that led to a lot of uh, talk and fears that the Fed was not going to be able to stop raising rates when they plan to. In fact, the Fed fund futures added in at least another 25 point basis, uh, 25 basis point hike. And there had been talks about uh, going with possibly 50 basis points at one of the next meetings and some discussion about a terminal rate being in the upper fives or as high as six. So the market digested all that, pulled back, as you said, broke below the short term. This is the green line on the chart that I'm showing, the 21-day moving average. Uh, and we spent uh, eight sessions underneath there. Today is the ninth. Uh, along that way, we started playing ping pong around the 50-day moving average, which is our intermediate term signal. And we bounced twice off of our long-term trend indicator. That's the 200-day moving average or the black line there. Going into yesterday morning, Thursday morning, we were gapping lower, and then we got um, some not so good economic, economic data before the open, and we we gapped down over a half percent. That put us below the 200-day moving average. Uh, we are, of course, assessing all of our positions. We've got if-then-else criteria for everything that we own, and the market little by little started uh, clawing back during the day and got back above the 200-day moving average, but was still in a pretty uh, precarious uh, situation. And then quite oddly, we remember back a couple of weeks, Bullard in the afternoon of one of the sessions came out and was being quoted. He didn't say anything, this is Fed guy Bullard, wasn't saying anything that he didn't, that people already hadn't been discussing, but it caused a market sell-off and that really started in earnest, the 6% decline off the top that we had. Yesterday, another non-voting member, Rafael Bostic, came out and started talking about, well, we don't have to necessarily jump to a half percent. Let's just see what these quarter percents uh, that we're doing, let them let them uh, roll through the economy. And the market just, that was it. That, that was the bottom for now. We went off. There were a lot of short covering because there were people on the short side. Uh, a lot of late shorts got in early with the breakdown on Thursday below the 200-day moving average, but the market has just gone up nonstop from 39.40 to 40.15 as of right now over the last three, four, five, six hours. So this is what we had been looking for and I've been talking about on the videos about how oversold all of the indexes were. Uh, on the stochastic, they were coming into support and it was time for the rubber to meet the road. All we needed was some sort of a catalyst for the selling to stop. And that happened out of the blue yesterday at 1.35 p.m. Eastern time. We didn't get cooperation from the dollar or rates yesterday. Rates continued higher, but today uh, rates are pulling back, meaning the price of the TLT, which is the long-term uh, tracker for the bond is up 1.7%. Uh, same thing with the 10-year. And these have been extremely oversold. So coming off, bonds coming off of oversold uh, 
and going higher means that rates which are overbought are going to come lower stocks like that and we're getting more of that this morning and we're getting a follow-through to the upside uh, despite some ISM data that came out pre-market that wasn't necessarily beneficial for what the Fed is looking for. So the title of last night's video was a line in the sand. That's going to be the big show, the line in the sand edition tonight too, because yesterday's lows are absolutely critical in the market uh, to not break for two reasons. One, it's a false breakdown below the 200 day moving average right now. That's our long-term indicator. We broke below it in the morning. We got back above it by the end of the day yesterday and we're furthering the gains above it uh, today. We got back above the 50-day moving average and we're challenging the downtrending short-term 21-day moving average now. So the key thing to look for is any pullback needs to hold the low of uh, Thursday and the S&P 500, the level for that is 39.28. Uh, on the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ yesterday is low was which was also a false breakdown in an undercut of the 200 day moving average that low is around 288 so as long as we hold those two key levels and we're also seeing some nice action out of leading stocks it's gave us the line in the sand that we needed and the confidence to be able to put more money to work uh, in the market having a clear downside level now that we can use to manage risk that's the bottom line from a technical standpoint. Uh, it all sums down really to the five major indexes that we track, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ 100, mid caps and small caps. All five of them did the same uh, or similar behavior. And yesterday's lows are critical for us uh, to hold. The next thing the bulls wanna see is all of these moving averages getting back above the 21 day. We're seeing it today on the NASDAQ 100 getting back above it. We're seeing it on the mid caps getting back above it. We're seeing it on small caps getting back uh, above it. And by above it means the declining 21 day moving average. We're right there on the S&P 500. We haven't done it yet. And the Dow, which has been lagging lately, uh, is not quite there either. So gauging yesterday's lows on the downside and today's levels against the declining 21 day moving average are critical for the success of the market going forward. Those two levels, uh, as the, the more progress we make above them is very good for the bulls. And we absolutely don't wanna break the line in the sand yesterday, which is uh, Thursday's lows, or the market could take another leg lower. There, we've got a lot of data coming out uh, soon. Uh, the 14th, we have CPI. That is uh, a week and a half away. And then we've got the FOMC, the Fed meeting on March 22nd. So we'll see what happens with those and what the reaction is to those uh, numbers and those reports that come out. And again, it's the reaction to them, not necessarily the numbers themselves, because it was on a terrible CPI number that showed inflation that we bottomed uh, on uh, the, the 13th of um, October of last year. And that's why the market is, is, is such an unpredictable beast. It's not just the number, it's the reaction to the numbers and the economic data uh, that come out. And that's what we keep our eye on as technicians in these different levels. You break a level, you get defensive, you regain a level, uh, you get more bullish. And uh, yesterday, as of right now, a very critical day 
on the market and definitely a good day for the bulls. Well, I, I will. I would like to comment. So on the twenty-one exponential moving average, if, if you look, that the 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 line, even though it's negative sloping, it's kind of flattening out. That means the intensity yes. of selling. So when it's negative and it's vertical, like when it's a negative sloping and it's very steep, that means the rate of change, the the second derivative of the slope of the line. That means selling is accelerating or it's still dangerous. When it's flattening, that means selling subsiding. So you really want to see it flatten and start to hook up. And you also yep. see those moving averages all kind of stacked together and getting aligned. That's also bullish. That's the first comment. The second comment is when that bad inflation report came out, the market bottomed. That's kind yep. of counterintuitive. You think, oh, the market's going to wet the bed <laughs> for lack of a and we were already very extended to the downside and had a huge gap down and um, then it things were looking extremely bleak and completely flipped to complete 180 uh at the end of the day so you mean someone was front running the cpi and inflation data and then after we got it then you get the relief rally wow who who would have known and that's why you need to have measure you need to have quantifiable ways to measure what's happening because if i put my look i'm very good in economics but i'll tell you what it doesn't help me making money it just doesn't because there's too many times when main street and wall street are not lined up together in fact there's really no short-term studies showing a correlation between uh, the broad stock market and earnings there's a big correlation long term but not any good short term all right. All right, Don, what, what, uh, what's next? What's Michael going to talk about? I'm going to turn it over to Michael, and uh, he's going to entertain you for the next couple of minutes. Take it away, Mike. All right. Um, so you may have noticed my background's a little different today. Uh, I felt like it didn't really make sense to be on the, on the beach in Fiji when, when I'm wearing a turtleneck and it's cold. So I looked a little colder. Damn. It's yeah, a, it's, snowing um, in SoCal. It's, it's, That's funny. We're supposed to be at the end of winter, but now it's starting to get cold. Uh, it's, it's you got the Steve Jobs look going. It sure does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talking oh man, about, you think you think you th hang on? You think people in Dallas can't drive on ice? I'd love to see people in LA. That's got to be oh. scary. Oh, I forget ice. We can't drive in the rain, or I should say, <laughs> we, but they can't drive in the rain. As soon as there's a little drizzle, it um it it, it gets pretty hectic. Ugh. Um, so the segment today um it, it'll be a little more useful for the uh for the stock nerds, but it is important for anyone who wants to learn a little more about investing and and just be more informed. Um, so hopefully it's it's interesting for everyone. Um, I'll, I'll make it as as uh, uncomplicated as possible because it 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 shouldn't be too complex, but um. Essentially, what I wanted to talk about is a go, go into a little bit of uh, valuation. And um, most untrained or not professional investors, um, they look at trailing values. So you'll notice it, uh, on your trading platform or whatever you use to do some sort of analysis, you'll see a, a TTM or, or you'll see the, that acronym. And what that stands for is trailing 12 months. And most people, when they're doing either a price to earnings multiple or price to sales, whatever metric they want to use for their valuation, they'll look at trailing estimates. And when you're actually um, wanting to value something, it's more important to look at the forward um, values because 
what happened in the past has happened, but when you're investing in something, you're looking for the for the future growth or the future expectations that may not be priced into that that security. And for growing companies, um, especially small caps, um, the problem there is that these trailing numbers are pretty useless because for small caps, it's extremely difficult to value growth because there's so much uncertainty. Um, and oftentimes the most important factor is the narrative. So uh, if you're looking at, at trailing estimates, you'll see a PE that's, that's huge versus, okay, maybe this company's growing excessively and that multiple that right now is at a thousand could drop to, to 12 in, in the next few years. So, so if you're looking at trailing numbers, you're behind, but also if you're looking at those future um, values, it's also not the best picture. And where you can really find an edge in these small cap growth names is trying to understand what that narrative is. And um, basically, those can give you the biggest opportunities because if for, for analysts, a lot of analysts don't even, um, don't even cover those those um, high growth small cap names because it's just so difficult to do any type of valuation analysis on them. Um, if you look at if you look at something like a Netflix or or a, a Celsius, these these fast growing companies, they have huge multiples. That I mean, it makes no sense from a price to earnings multiple to be in that stock, but now Netflix which had a multiple of over a thousand now is at 31 because it over time, if the narrative plays out, it grows into that valuation. Um, the issue with that too, is that if you are investing something based on a narrative and trying to find an edge on that, you have to be aware that if something doesn't play out and that narrative there, there is a kink in the narrative and, and it doesn't go as expected, those stocks will get punished and they will drop. Um, a lot more than the overall market. So that is something that, that kind of comes with the territory. And um, that is a huge risk to be, to be aware of. Um, and then, um, so um, a, a great example of a narrative stock um, that you had up earlier, um, Don, is Tesla. And basically, if you were to do fundamental analysis on Tesla for, for most of its life, and even now, uh, it's really, virtually impossible to, to justify um, its valuation unless you're using Kathy Wood type assumptions that they're going to dominate every industry from automation to robotics. But at the end of the day, that's still a narrative. It's all based on assumptions that may or may not play out. But um, that doesn't really matter because the narrative is so dominant and the fundamentals aren't driving a, a company like this. And it, it, it led it all the way up to over a trillion dollar valuation. And um, basically what you can look for and find an edge is if a company or a stock has a, has a cult-like following or a belief system. Because at the end of the day, what people are, are investing in when, they, when they're buying Tesla or buying Bitcoin or buying any of these narrative stocks is is a belief system, and it's really you're betting on Elon Musk. It, it, there's no there's no multiple or premium too high for for these uh, fanboys to pay. Um, Kathy Wood, it's like no matter what he does, it's it's good. Nothing it can do no wrong. So it, it, you've got a lot of short sellers saying, look, the fundamentals, the valuation doesn't make sense, but 
doesn't have to make sense and it probably never will make sense. Maybe one day in the future, if you can wait long enough, the fundamentals will catch up and people will start uh, losing hope or losing faith in the narrative or Elon Musk does something and, and there, there's an issue with him and they don't like him anymore. That's all possible. But at the moment, it, it's really, you're, you're just betting on a narrative. So if you can find the company you really like and understand that narrative and see how it can turn into a mainstream narrative, that is a way for you to get an edge um, in markets. And the best place um, to do that is, is in these uh, small cap, high growth names. Because as I said, they're extremely difficult to value. Um, there's a lot more inefficiencies in that market. It's, it's really how, how do you know how big that company is going to be? There, there's no way to tell. And um, there's an interesting book about this if people want to learn um, about it in more detail that that I, I'm just not able to, to explain on the podcast or j just in a way better way than, than I can possibly explain. There's um, an economist, his name is Robert Schiller, and he wrote a book called Narrative Economics. And um, that book goes into a lot of detail about this and, and just shows how, how it, it's not even only um, relevant for the, the small cap growth names, but just business cycles and the economy in general, there, there is a lot of narrative um, and a lot of things that, that don't make sense fundamentally that do shape um, the economy and, and, and markets as a whole. And, um, and then the last thing I'll say is that it, you want to take this strategy and apply it. Um, it. It's more useful, as I said, for these, these small cap, not really followed by analyst names. Because if you're trying to find a narrative edge in something like like Eli Lilly or Merck or a huge company that's followed by a hundred analysts where everyone already knows the story and all that's been discounted and you've got the smartest and best funds already discounting all of that information, you're, you're not going to find an edge in the narrative. It's got to be something you've got to look in, in places where there's not a lot of analysts covering it yet. There, there's maybe not a lot of funds in it yet. And, um, you can use your own knowledge and your, your own belief system and, and see what other people think about it too. To, um, so yeah, get, get an edge and that, that's one way of uh, sort of bypassing the whole valuation and, and really technical fundamental stuff. All right. Well, so I want to make that, that, that was an oxymoron, I guess, a technical <laughs> fundamental, but, but you know, yeah, I, 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 it's like a, like a pun technical in the, in the other sense. Yeah, got it. So I'd like to make a couple comments on that, just so people understand. So what he was saying, like when you have a really high PE, if you've got a 500 PE, but your revenues are grow or your 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 profit is growing because it's PE is price over earnings divided by earnings, your net income, right? So if you're if you're growing rapidly, and your revenues are tripling and you're, or, or doubling and your income is also doubling. If you've got a 500 PE next year, it'll be 250 if nothing else changes. If the price, you know, the following year, the PE would be half of that. So literally within five or six years, if you're making that kind of money, you're doubling, your PE will be down in the single digits. So there's a couple ways that, that PEs are adjusted. They're either you either grow into it, the company grows revenues and it reduces, or the blue sky is wrung out. So when you're talking about stock prices, when they talk about blue sky, that means how frothy your stock prices. So PEs, 
are earned, we always say this, and they're in different industries, will have different PEs. So like pre-tech rec, 1999, these PEs for the tech sectors were 40, 50, 60, 70 PE to one. A few individual stocks had PEs in the hundreds or even thousands. But the overall tech sector was literally, I don't know, I have to go back and look, 60, 80, it was pretty high. And, and then utilities and even boring stocks were in the 30s and 40s and 50s. In a recessionary environment, in a really ugly market, now that was really frothy, that was uh, extended. But really, PEs generally are going to range till to be low, to be mid single digit, seven, eight, nine percent on utilities and very conservative stocks, with tech stocks being 12, 13 percent or, you know, anywhere. It could be even single digit sometimes if the correction or the bear market is ugly enough. And then they can go up to 20 percent in growth stocks or 14. All I'm saying is the market environment will actually, you, the range of PEs, everybody looks at a PE stock and goes, oh, it's got a PE of 40. Is that expensive or cheap? Well, number one, it depends on whether our economy is contracting or expanding. And number two, you've got to look at that industry itself. You can't compare a utility stock with a high growth stock. Those PEs should be different. They deserve different PEs because of the different growth rates. But in any event, the PE is adjusted. When people sell off, that price to earnings gets contracted. When, P, when, people get, when greed kicks in and people start bidding up stocks, that PE is going to go up. So that's what Michael's talking about. It, the PEs are going to vary, but they also need to vary, be lower in recessionary times and be higher in high growth times. So in any event, I just wanted to kind of highlight that a little bit, Don. Well, that that doesn't even address two small growth names that we own right now that don't even have PEs because they lose money. So you can't calculate a PE for something that loses money. But this Transmedics uh, stock, how did this get on our radar? Well, first of all, we normally don't screen for anything that trades less than 25 million dollars in daily dollar volume that's the share price times the average daily volume over the last 50 days uh this one got on our uh radar because it had a big we're all we're always doing scans for stocks that are gapping up on volume so this one got on our radar one of these days uh when it had this big gap up on 11.4 uh big gap up it was up uh, 24% on 310% average volume, gapped out of a base. So, okay, Transmedics gets on our watch list. Then you start looking back and you see, well, it had a massive gap up on earnings back in May. And then it had another one in August. Didn't really go anywhere because the market was coming down. Had another one in November. Uh, then Alex, who is our uh, most, our, uh, medical analyst, started digging into this story. And it was just amazing what he found out about it. So we started uh, buying a little bit of it and then it broke below the 50 day moving average. So we got back out, but then it got back in uh, when the market started, stopped going down in this period in late December. And we added a little bit of it in uh, January and said, let's see what happens when its next earnings report comes out. And they just knocked it out of the park uh, with a 20% gain on 493% uh, average volume. And now, institutions and funds are starting to trip all over themselves trying to get back into this. 
we at Revere, or I, I should say me personally, I'm not going to find a stock like this that's in its infancy and hope that it does well. I'm gonna wait for it to pop onto my radar because it trades with enough volume and uh, at, an, at a big enough price that funds can start getting into it and pushing it up because if it's too small, yeah, it's not covered by analysts, but the uh, small cap universe isn't doesn't have enough money to throw around to really get this uh, significantly higher. It's not until they start really growing up uh, that they're going to get on our radar and we'll miss the first you know 50 percent sometimes 100 percent of the move but if their sales are going to continue to be sustained like you can here's their last four uh, quarters of sales up 125 percent up 151 percent up 378 percent up 225 percent the sales continue and the product's good the earnings will come that's when you'll see the first earnings report and it'll have an astronomical pe of a couple of hundred uh, as more and more institutions start to get into it. But very often, we might be buying these before they even have a PE, but we won't be buying them if they're not liquid enough. And it's difficult for the average investor to, because every story that's out there, every stock that's out there has a story. Every story sounds good. They don't put up on their website, you know, we're really not sure that we're really gonna be able to pull this off. They're gonna paint the best picture that they can. Now, if, you, if you're in the industry and you have intimate knowledge of the product and you know what the target market is, fine and dandy. We're, we're not going to, as a company at Revere, going to be digging into uncovered gems like this. They're going to, uh, they're going to come to us by their price and volume action and say, hey, Revere, buy me. We're not going to be looking for them and saying, oh, I, I'm going to buy you and I hope someday everybody realizes how good I think you're going to be. We've got to have the market waiting uh, we've got to have the market agreeing with us that it's going higher. Oh, that, that, and that, that well, that, that, that summarizes our approach to these. Yeah, that's, that's hysterical because I'll get these penny stock analysts all the time. There are a bunch from Canada too, I guess, but I get these calls from Canada and U.S. Hey, in New York, if I know it's a New York uh, City uh, area code number, I'm thinking, oh God, because they'll call, hey, we've got this penny stock. It's, it, it's the new X, you know, up and coming. And I'll say, look, if it doesn't show up on our, on our on our on our technical indicators it's got to show itself to us for us to even be interested it's got to meet certain metrics don't call, don't call me anymore but that's a perfect point so i'm going to put my don interpreter on real quick and and kind of paraphrase what he said and kind of tie in what what michael said so michael's doing the deep fundamental dive trying to find these gems and don's saying another way to do it is let them reveal themselves to you with price and volume. That's how we're actually finding lots of these stocks. And when you're talking about, so that, that non-profitable, the one that has no revenue that Don's talking about, Transmetics. So it reminds me of a story 10 years ago when I was doing the show with Dan Kofal. He kept coming on the show going, oh, Amazon, it's just a website. Anybody can build a website and it's got no earnings. And I said, but Dan, they're stealing market share from all these other people. And once they run them out of business, all they got to do is raise their price a nickel and they immediately have profits. So when companies are not profitable yet, but are starting to are generating revenues and as they're bringing and they're stealing market share, they can still be a very, very good candidate. Yes, they carry more risk than someone that's making money. But the bottom line is, if you do enough screens, you're going to find out 
the best of the, you're, you'll you'll weed through a lot of the stocks that you don't really want, and then you got it. Then the then the real the secret sauce is picking out of the twenty, the twenty or thirty stocks that are on your list, trying to determine which five or ten are the best. All right, folks, listen. Um, do you guys have anything else? Yeah, I, nope. I, I just wanted to say well, what I what I was talking about basically. Uh, it, it, it ties into um I, I meant it in the sense that if you see a great chart and it's a great setup, but you're you're worried that the the stock has a a thousand PE or you're concerned that it doesn't have earnings, that's not necessarily a, a reason to shy away. A from deal it killer. No, no, absolutely. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. No, no. Why I was trying to say that. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Just because it's not profitable doesn't now you got that carries more risk. So you got to do a little more deep diving. But if they're stealing market share, if they're revenue, and that's why we have that's why the Bill O'Neill and the canceling method, he was looking for double digit earning growth, but he was also looking for double digit revenue growth. And so there were companies that they could take that didn't necessarily have to have the earnings as long as they had enough revenue and they had the end, they had the story. Okay, just like Amazon. Look, Amazon started out, it was not profitable for years. It lost money like five, six, seven, eight years in a row before it started making money. And now and then it was a great investment for a long time. It's been a dog recently, but it 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 was a great investment for a long time period. And that was before it was profitable. So the fundamentals don't always tie in with the technicals. The story, look, you've got to separate a great stock from a great business. Just because it's a great business. Look, Apple, everybody knows Apple is an awesome company and very well run. That doesn't mean it's timely and that you can make money with it right now. So right now I'd be looking at getting into Apple or last month, but for last year I would have been staying out of Apple. That wasn't because I didn't like Apple. It was because overall market risk. The market itself was selling off. And when the market sells off, 75, 80% of all stocks go down. When the market goes up, 75, 80% of all stocks go up. So really you've got to identify the market direction. Once you identify that, hey, it may be a good time to invest, that's when you really got to do these screens and do a deep dive and try to pick the best of the best. Most of our stocks are going to have earnings. We don't do a lot of stocks that don't have earnings. In fact, we do very few because normally when a stock doesn't have earnings, they're pretty small. They're a startup. They're coming into their own. Most big, large mega cap companies don't have lot. Well, they don't have sustainable year losses year after year. They may have one or two years where they have losses like the big banks or something because of something that happens economically, but you can't keep losing money over and over and, 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 and stay in business. In any event, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, send them to revereasset.com. And in the top right-hand corner, they can just sign up. There's a subscribe button. They can sign up. They'll get this, um, this, this newsletter or video or, or podcast. Saturday morning. And if they go to YouTube and just sign up, just search for Revere Asset, just Revere Asset, hit the subscribe button. You'll actually get this Friday afternoon about one one fifteen when Zach posted. 
as soon as it's out there. And you'll get it uh, a day before it goes out in the Saturday newsletter. You'll also get our daily market insight video that Don does every night that the market is open. He'll do his the big show 21 over 21 tonight. And that's very good. So we are extremely transparent. We tell you midterm, long-term, short-term, what the market is showing, strength or weakness. And then we show you what we're looking at and what we're actually doing. And you can reach out to any of us, Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, Michael, Connor, or uh, who's the last one? Oh, you My, uh, Ted, right there. There Ted at revereasset.com. <laughs> and you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a great weekend. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make, it's how much you can keep even if you can't remember the names of the people you work with. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.